Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with Digital Engagement, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bonnie in the house, happy to be here. We have got a very, very important and timely topic for you. I'm just going to give you the title of the topic to get everybody excited in our global audience listening to us live on Voice America Business Channel. Topic, brand marketing in the post-pandemic world. And I've added two words and a question mark after the title I was given. Say what? Because what is your brand supposed to be doing? Where should you be heading? We have a stellar panel of three experts on the topic, but let me get started with my usual opening monologue. I have four buzz quotes today. So much to say. So I have a quote from Scott Cook. If you're not familiar, he's an American billionaire businessman. He's the co-founder of Intuit, a director of eBay and Procter & Gamble. You might say he's busy. And here is the quote. A brand is no longer what we tell the consumer it is. It is what the consumers tell each other it is. Think about that. Okay. Once it's out there, it's out of your control. Buzz number two from Steve Forbes. Forbes Magazine Editor-in-Chief, he said, your brand is the single most important investment you can make in your business. Think about that. Here's quote number three from Scott Bedbury, CEO of Brandstream, former Nike ad director and CMO at Starbucks. I tried to pick really interesting people here. Here we go. A great brand is a story that is never completely told. Ah, that implies work in progress. And buzz number four, whether B2B or B2C, we are all emotional beings looking for relevance, context, and connection. And that's from Beth Comstock, former vice chair at GE. She ran GE Business Innovations, and she's the author of Imagine It Forward. So now let me tell you what we're really going to be talking about today. The American Marketing Association, you can go to ama.org, describes brand as a name, term, design, symbol, or any other feature that identifies one seller's goods or service as distinct from those of other sellers. Okay, so we've established that. We're now more than a year, unfortunately, into the COVID-19 pandemic. We won't talk about where it is right now, where volatility, complexity, and uncertainty have been at an all-time high. A brand's ability to get attention, be remembered, and be an educational resource has become more imperative than ever. Reality check for all of you with brands out there, anybody in business, how's your brand doing on that scope, on those qualifications? In conjunction with consumers wanting their buying power to reflect their personal values, this has placed extreme pressure on brands to get it right. We're going to talk about what that word right means. Given all of this, what role does branding play in the buyer's journey, which has changed dramatically over the years? And has changed? Has that changed since the pandemic began? Probably yes. What could or should your company do to be better at reflecting the current and very fluid, dynamic, flexible social climate? Or should you not engage in that conversation? And we haven't defined what that conversation is yet. What other impacts will the pandemic have on the future of your branding. We have today Alicia Tillman. Alicia, you can wave hello for the 
for the video we're recording. We have Mike Grehan. Say hello, Mike. We can wave. And we have Dennis Thomas. And I'm going to ask them for their take on brand marketing in a post-pandemic world. Say what? And before I let Alicia Tillman introduce herself, I know she's known all over the world, but we're going to find out what she's been up to recently. I have to do a shout out to Kirsten Boileau, the longtime sponsor of this series at SAP. And Kirsten has been doing this show with me for seven years, one of our longest Game Changers radio sponsors, and a shout out to Sylvie Lexow, who recently joined Kirsten's team, and I call her our showrunner. So, Alicia Tillman, I'm delighted to have you on the show. I was so thrilled to meet you on our prep call last week. Would you please refresh everybody, even though you haven't been on Game Changers before, tell everybody what you've been up to and what is your passion for this topic? Alicia, welcome. Thank you, Bonnie. Welcome. And, and I'm so happy to be here today. So thank you to you and, and SAP and happy to be here in a conversation with, with Dennis and Mike. So Alicia Tillman, I'm the former global SA, uh, CMO of SAP. Um, I was at SAP for six years. Prior to that, I served as the CMO for Ariba, one of SAP's cloud brands. And then previous to that, I was at American Express for 11 years where I ran marketing and communications for the travel services business. Um, I'm super passionate about um, marketing generally. Um, I believe that there is no function in a company that contributes to company growth, customer retention, attracting new employees, winning hearts and minds as much as the marketing function does. Um, a company's brand is truly its most valuable asset. It takes vision, it takes empathy, it takes consistent delivery of excellence and service. It has to be relevant and it has to be constantly nurtured. And marketing is at the forefront of that. Today more than ever, consumers want brands that speak to them, that help them, that are aligned to their values. And I couldn't be more passionate about being in the marketing field and have the ability to lead how we shape great brands in today's post-pandemic environment. Thank you very much, Alicia. You hit on so many key points there in, in your opening and telling us what your passion is. And the word that stood out for me, empathy. And isn't that a really important word? I talked about connection in some of the quotes empathy. How do you empathize with what you think your customers, your prospects, the world needs and is feeling and thinking at any moment in time? And it seems to be changing almost by the minute as to what the world needs to hear. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about that. Thank you, Alicia. And again, welcome. Mike Grehan, welcome. So happy to have you as well on the panel, another super expert in the field. So why don't you give us your three-minute take on who you are, what you do, and what's your passion for the topic? Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Just real quick before I start for your audience, a quick technical uh, note here. If you're watching this on a very HD screen, 4K screen, and you notice a tiny little blip where it looks like the color is all distorted on the screen, don't adjust your screen. That is my shirt. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. I, to I told Mike his shirt was a party when I first saw it. When, <laughs> when we, we're, we're on Zoom, we're broadcasting only audio today, but some people will see the video. Mike, go ahead. She was asking me, I thought you were asking me to tone down the shirt. Uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, yeah, I've been uh, in media and marketing for a long time. I actually started in radio and TV um, way back in the past century. Uh, but for the past 25 years, I've been working in what they call digital marketing. And I hate that term. So maybe we'll touch on that at some point later on. 
Um, but search is the area that I focus on and uh, the main. Um, and I'm really passionate about search because uh, product search has been around forever. Actually, the first product search um, report that I ever saw was from 1937. It was a Ford Motor Company talking about just how expensive product search is. And now, of course, everybody has Google, so it's free and it's easy. Uh, but that customer journey, which is so important, uh, I know for a fact from the work that we do at our agency, that journey starts with search. It frequently ends with search, that whole messy bit that goes on in the middle. Um, but one of the areas that I've been really focused on is getting to understand intent to find out what it is, the problem that the people who are potentially your next customer, the problem they're trying to solve at the start of the journey. That's why search engine optimization is so important to me. I wrote the first book on SEO 20 years ago, and I still find now that if you can connect a lot earlier on the journey, on that customer journey with your next potential customer, then there's going to be a lot less friction by the time you do eventually get to the checkout, because that's where that early brand affinity begins. So uh, my uh, byword catchphrase uh, in our agency is uh, stop selling, start helping. People don't wake up in the morning with a credit card running to a screen saying, I'm going to buy something. Well, if they've got somebody else's credit card, they might have to <laughs> But not with their own. They usually search as task-based. They're trying to solve a problem. So the earlier you can solve that problem um, and begin that brand affinity, the better. Thank you so much, Mike. Pleasure to have you on. Let's turn to our third guest. It is Dennis Thomas at SAP. Dennis, welcome to you. I just met you also on our prep call last week. Happy to have you. And why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, and what's your passion for the topic? Welcome, Dennis. Yes. Thanks, Bonnie. And it's uh, great to be here with all of you. Um, just, I guess a little background. I started off as a fine artist in New York. Uh, also with a degree in philosophy. And when I did make art many years ago, it wasn't so much oriented along the lines of creativity, but something more interpreted. Uh, creativity was a little too theologically oriented, but I did understand interpretation and was engaged with how images reflect a culture, how they engage a culture, how just tweaking them can reveal underlying meanings that we all accept for Grand in, don't pay attention to. Um, I've worked with uh, branding agencies for most of my career as a, as a creative. Uh, SAP is my first client-side job, uh, and it's an amazing cultural shift to go from a 68-person agency to a 100,000-person company, and it still weirds me out every day, and it is a, still a creative venture to engage. But anyway, the thing that fascinates me about brands, and I'm on the creative side, is, is imagery and how it interacts with culture and how brands become culture, how they interact with culture, how culture influences brands, and they are much bigger than we think they are, that, you know, they, they speak to us in our world in ways that in the old days, companies did not. They engage with us in, in ways that uh, when I was a kid, brands never interacted with us. So um, part, of, part of my interest is just, again, imagery and how it affect, affects culture, but mostly it's these days how culture and brands overlap and affect each other. Very, very interesting. Thank you all for your intros. I have a quick question before we get, we're going to go to the quotes my guests have sent me. Movie, TV characters, and song quotes that have nothing to do with the topic, and they're going to interpret what they have to do with the topic in their own words. But question is, in the past few years, 
the M word, millenn- not marriage, millennials have, have been, been uh, assaulted with the claim that they were the ones who said, a brand has to align with my personal values, with my ethics, with my morality, with my sense of what the world should be if the world's in the right place. And I believe that it's become more pervasive and it's not just a millennial thing that I care about the company I work for. What do they stand for? Where are they investing? Where are they sourcing? What kind of people do they have? It's not just that. A shareholder, what company do I want to invest in? What company's products do I want to buy from? Brand is all of these today. Let's just quickly go around the table a minute apiece before I want to get to the quotes, but I think this is an interesting way to look at it. Alicia Tillman, is it something that's gone way past the millennial group who are now in their 40s, I understand, um, that everybody cares more about what brands represent in terms of how they align with who each of us is and where we want to spend our money or where we want to work? What's your thought? I was uh, at a conference in London many, many years ago, and I made a statement that uh, the millennial population is driving a new way for brands to think about themselves and needing to be values driven. And I had uh, a member of the journalist community in the office, in the room, immediately put his hand in the air and he said, well, I'm surely not a millennial. Um, he, he was definitely an older gentleman and he said, and I've always bought from brands that I trust and are aligned to my values. And it was such a powerful statement to me that I carried with me for years and years afterwards. Um, we didn't all of a sudden as a world wake up and decide that we want to operate with integrity and be values driven individuals. Um, I don't think the workplace has necessarily created safe spaces to allow people to voice that enough like they have today. And that's why we're now seeing voices around the topic much more. Um, But it's not at all to suggest that brands all of a sudden need to wake up and respond to what people need. Um, It's just that people are really realizing now that they have a voice and they're going to use it and they're going to take their dollars and use it as power to invest in brands that are truly aligned to them. Thank you very much. Great overview. And uh, interesting, you said years ago that this happened and the M word was being bandied about or not at that point in time. Mike, thoughts on this from you? Uh, Yeah, I agree uh, mainly in uh, what Alicia is saying. I I think uh, millennials can't own brand and the values that go with it because because I'm 67 years old and I've been wearing Levi's for 55 and there has to be a reason for that. It's not the same pair, by the way, I might add. But, uh, but, but, but I, I do think there is some kind of crossover at some point, and I don't know that it's the millennial thing, where brands become involved in areas where perhaps they would be better off not being a part of, unfortunately, you know. So I think brand values have always been there. Should brands be in politics and other areas? I think they should just think more about the values that they bring and, you know, the, sometimes the, uh, the trust and the, the security. That's it. Thank you very much. Dennis Thomas, love to get your POV on this. What do you think? You know, I, I have a little bit of issue with talking about millennials as a single unit demographically, mm-hmm. um, partially because although I live in Brooklyn, New York, I'm spending a lot of time this summer in upstate New York in very rural areas. And a millennial generation here has very different values than, let's say, the urban 
college-educated millennial. And so most of the talk I hear about millennials, I would, I would totally agree with in terms of, you know, how they want a brand to express their values and talk about something more and engage in the world. But I think that is not the totality of this generation called millennials, that there are also those out there that really don't care about values in the same way that a college-educated urban one uh, might. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that everyone seems to think they know who millennials are. Um, and, and again, I, I usually agree totally with all that I'm hearing coming from millennials or how people are interpreting their gestures. It's all great. I just don't think that speaks to the to- totality of this generation if we look at it, say, demographically. Thank you very much. And my point in bringing this up was that I think it's way beyond what we what we used to know as millennials, whether you have a, a start date and an end date of that demographic cohort, they call it. Uh, I, I think it's, it's more pervasive now. And I think that's where we were going with this. Thank you all for that sidebar. I appreciate that. I do that on the show occasionally when something comes to mind. I think the audience would like. Now let's get to the quotes. Alicia Tillman has sent us a quote from Willy Wonka. The movie is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Factory. And it was Willy Wonka, of course, played by the one and only Gene Wilder. And here is the quote. Anything you want to do, do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. Alicia, I love this. Tell me, how does this relate to our topic? Well, I think brands need to be representative of the change that your company was founded on, what it was intended to do. Um, Every company was founded with a purpose. And often that purpose is to change something, to do something differently, uh, to create something that that doesn't exist to help the world become a better place. If we think about the highest levels of aspirations of a company and Look, I, it's my favorite movie in the world, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It, it just, it represents this ability to, to really imagine. Um, and, you know, I'm sure Dennis in particular can relate to this with the incredible creative mind that he has. But, you know, the, the visual interpretation of the mind and what it can do if you really set yourself out to do something there really is nothing to it. Um, If you have the vision, if you have the will, then you have the ability to do some really amazing things in life. And I do think that that is so much of what brands are. It's a interpretation of who you are, what you want to be, what you want to change. And um, if you have the right gumption to, to go after it, then you can do it. And I think it's as simple as that. Thank you very much. And full attribution for that. It's from the song Pure Imagination. The movie was 1971. The song was written, get this, in one day over the phone by Leslie Briscus and Anthony Newley. One day over the phone, and we're talking back in the 1970s or perhaps in the late 60s when they wrote it for the movie. I love that. Pure Imagination, such a beautiful song. Thank you, Alicia. Appreciate that. Mike Rihanna has sent us a quote from another iconic group, a group, music, the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. He picked the title of the song as his quote written by the English rock band, The Beatles, released as a non-album single July 1967. That predates the Willy Wonka movie, Alicia. 
Georgia, and and it was written by Lennon and credited to the Lennon-McCartney Partnership. It was Britain's contribution to Our World, the first live global TV link for which the band was filmed performing at EMI Studios in London. The program was broadcast by a satellite to an audience of, everybody put your seatbelt on for this, over 400 million people in 25 countries heard that song, saw that performance. That was back in 1967. Amazing. Mike, rescue me. All you need is love. What does this have to do with our topic? Go ahead. (laughs) Well, like I said, I've been around for a while. I mean, I remember that summer. I remember seeing that on TV and the effect that it had on me. It was kind of like the Internet would have some years later, you know, that this is going out to 400 million people. But what I really loved about it was the fact that they selected the song because it was international. It was going across borders, languages. And it was so simple to understand. Everybody could figure it out. All you need is love. And, you know, all of these years later, no matter how idealistic it sounds, the same thing applies with the brand. You know, if you love your customers, yeah, and make them fall in love with you, what a perfect relationship. It transcends everything. So I'm still kind of in a hippie state of mind from 1967, but it works for me. <laughs> and, we, and we still love your shirt. We really do. Thank you very, <laughs> very much. Uh, let's, let's go to Dennis. Dennis has sent us a quote from played a character, Sandy, played by Laura Dern in the movie Blue Velvet, 1986 neo-noir mystery thriller film written and directed by David Lynch. I'm just going to stop there. It's considered a psychological horror with film noir. I just leave that alone. Here's the quote. Four words. Quotes are short, except for Alicia's today. It's a strange world. Dennis, Thomas, what in the world does this have to do with our topic? Please help me out. Well, two things. First of all, David Lynch's work is, is nothing but weird, 100%, start to finish, his whole career, every film. And to have a character within that weird world remark on the weirdness of the world is, there, there's something else going on there. It's a very kind of meta relationship when, when the weird are talking about how weird things are. How it relates today is, is really kind of very literal and very simple. Um, we've heard the word unprecedented times thrown out thousands of times um, in the past year, year and a half. Uh, there's something else going on besides just the pandemic. You know, there's a shift in, in the whole worldviews happening um, that the pandemic's part of, has been brought on perhaps because of that. And the times just aren't unprecedented. They're weird, whether we're looking at capital insurrections, or any other number of things, vaccinations. There's a weirdness going on that that isn't simply political. Dennis, finally, somebody spoke the truth. I'm sorry. The world is just weird right now. You're absolutely right. Thank, thank you for that honest approach. And I appreciate the comments about the movie too. Thank you all for your research on the quotes, the songs, the movies, the characters. Appreciate that. Now let's go to our opening statements. Well, I have asked each of our guests to send me four statements. And we're going to open the ra- the formal roundtable part of the show now. I'm going to pick a statement from each guest. Alicia, I 
I'm picking your statement number one. I put it in the chat for you so you don't have to go searching for it. I'm going to read Alicia's statement, which is brief and to the point, very appreciated. Ask Alicia to unpack it for about three minutes, hear what she has to say, and then I'm going to go around the table. Mike, you're virtually sitting right next to Alicia right now, whether you know it or not. I'm going to ask you to agree or disagree with Alicia, and she told me it's okay if you disagree. It's fine, okay? And then I'm going to ask Dennis Thomas to agree or disagree with Alicia and or with Mike. So you've got your work cut out for you, Dennis. Then, Alicia, I'll go back to you for closing remarks on that. I will select a statement from Mike's list, and I'll put it in the chat for you, Mike, and we'll do the same thing around the table and see what we can cover. So Alicia Tillman told me the following before the show. Brand is the north star of a company. If you build it, nurture it, and help people understand it, it will be your guide during times of crisis. You certainly encapsulated the current environment there, Alicia. Why don't you go ahead and tell us more, please? Well, I don't think there's much to unpack. I mean, obviously, we're coming out of a global pandemic, um, and I truly believe that the brand of a company is what helped to guide each of them through the period of of last year that we've all navigated through. Um, And if your business was truly built with a clear vision, a sound purpose, it is known for delivering exceptional experiences that are aligned to to individuals and companies and what their needs are, um, then it then it prevailed. And in fact, in a lot of ways, you know, the company did better. Um, it was able to pivot quickly. It was because it was built on how well it listened to customers and how well their products and services adapted to what their needs were. And they did the same thing during the crisis. Um, And so I think that if you had a strong brand, a clear brand that was relevant and purpose-driven and value-oriented, then it truly was your North Star during the crisis that we've all lived through. And it will continue to be, um, you know, as we meet the next crisis or challenge in the marketplace that we have to overcome. So that's just a little bit about that one. Thank you very much, Alicia. Let's go to Mike. Agree or disagree? Comments on what Alicia shared. Mike? Yeah, I do agree. I think brand is the uh, the North Star for sure, providing you understand exactly what brand is. And I think sometimes people do get confused between the creative side and the iconism that goes with brand and what brand actually needs to uh, represent. So, you know, it is possible uh, that people do, and I've been in the advertising marketing industry for a long time where people say, we're launching a new brand of something and we're going to push it into the marketplace like this, where actually, you know, start the other way around. Let's start with the customer experience and work backwards from there. And let's see if we're doing something right for the customer. Um, And then, uh, yeah, again, I do agree that, uh, Brand was really important last year, but at the same time, brand was missing in certain places. Um, and, and I think that a lot of that is to do with this kind of gap that there still is between what is marketing, what is digital marketing, as if they were two different things, you know. But essentially, yeah, absolutely. When you have a brand, you have the most valuable asset of your company, you know. Thank you very much. Dennis Thomas, join us. Agree or disagree with any or all of what was just shared? I entirely agree with, uh, you know, brand being a North Star on which uh, we base our actions. Uh, What interests me is how that North Star 
reacts in, let's say, today's weird world. You know, we're living in a world that's bifurcated in ways that we never could have anticipated a few years ago. So every time a brand acts, it acts within the context of an extremely diverse audience with diverse views and viewpoints. And, you know, I, brands are engaging the culture wars that I would have to say right now that um, like never before. And they, they cannot rely, they cannot passively just follow their North Star, that they have to be agile, understand how that North Star fits into the battle zone that, that our culture is right now. And that's, that's going to be very, very tricky negotiating for a lot of concerns. Thank you very much. Alicia, great conversation starter. I thank you. Anything you want to say back to your two co-panelists? I agree. I mean, a brand is something that um, is almost built once and constantly refreshed and nurtured based on what's happening in the environment. Um, it's not something that is new every year. A campaign is something that's new. A brand mm -hmm. is not something that um, gets recreated. Um, it evolves, it, it may take different directions, but it's always going to be grounded in this idea that um, this is who we are, this is the value we are delivering to you, um, and this is how it connects to what matters most to you and, mm -hmm. and what challenges you need us to help you solve. Um, and, and how that is reflected during periods of crisis or periods of change. That's what all of the, the various items that we have in our marketing toolkit enable us to be able to communicate and to market well. Um, and that's very different, you know, as Mike said, from, you know, this notion that um, a brand is something that is new every single year. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Let's move on. Mike, I'm looking at your statement number three. I already put it in the chat for you. It's long and detailed, and I love it. And I'm just going to read the first two sentences and ask you to take it apart for us. Mike says, will the industry please return to using the term marketing in quotes when discussing digital the 30 second spot is set apart yet even that is recorded on a digital camera and then edited in digital editing software during post-production it's unuploaded to a cloud server and distributed i'm going to stop there and the story goes on mike talk to me please uh yeah it's kind of something that's been you know uh bothering me since um uh, you know, I, I kind of transitioned from working what people refer to as conventional marketing, which was just marketing into this thing called the Internet, which is actually the World Wide Web. There's a difference between the two. Um, and then all of a sudden I was doing something different to other marketers. Like, you know, people refer to the digital marketers as if all oh, those guys, they send data to devices. No, we don't. We just do marketing. I mean, we are brands and we have customers and whichever the channel is that we use or whichever way they receive the message, it doesn't really make any difference. You know, as I've said many times before, when I worked in conventional marketing, I didn't, you know, wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go and do some analog marketing today. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to go and do some digital marketing. But apart from the fact that the inference is that they're different things, the fact of the matter is, it does keep the industry a little fragmented. 
And it's difficult sometimes, especially working with large companies like SAP, for instance, you know, where there's a budget for this and a budget for that. And these people work in that department and those people work in that department. They can't get this budget and you can't get that. Um, It is somewhat difficult just to get everybody together in one place and say, how are we going to make this work as one thing if we all think it's two different things, you know? So I wish that people would just remember that regardless of whether I'm seeing this on a TV and the point that I made before is true, there is not a single thing that happens in analog in the world. So why would you say digital marketing, you know? (laughs) So let's just get everybody on the same place. Yeah, on the, you know, back around the table in the same place. Um, And then the other thing is, and I'll just finish with this, um, and uh, I'm sure that everybody will disagree and marketers everywhere will say, Graham, what did you just say, you idiot? But here's the point. If you all get around the table together and then take the budget, set it back to zero and start again. Thank you. We appreciate the provocativeness of what you just said. Let's go around the table. Dennis Thomas, you right now are sitting virtually next to Mike. So why don't you go ahead and talk to me? Agree or disagree? Well, you know, I think I think part of this confusion is we're in a period of transition, right? It's um, There are people in, in marketing that have lived in the analog world, including, you know, myself. And then there's the digital native generation and marketing's being redefined, you know, not only with new technology, but almost a, a clash of generations. So, you know, I, I, I think it's, I think that confusion is kind of normal at this, at this point. And, I, you know, I think it will resolve itself. But, yeah, in the meantime, I think it does cause confusion. It causes confusion, as, as we heard, with how budgets are appropriated and how groups work and interact with one another because not every organization has kind of caught up with the change that we all see ourselves in every day. Thank you very much. Alicia, join us. Agree or disagree with all or part of what Mike said and or what Dennis added. Alicia? So I think Mike's statement is spot on. Um, I think that as marketers, we um, are part of the problem in how we complicate what I think is one of the most critical professions in business. Um, We give people the right to often challenge the function of marketing because we spend so much time splitting hairs on what the function of marketing is. HR is HR, finance is finance, marketing is marketing. Yet as marketers, unlike HR, unlike finance, we talk about every function of marketing. We classify ourselves as a functional marketer, brand marketer, digital marketer. Um, and it, 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 I think it does the function a disservice, truly. Um, I believe truly that what Mike said around we need to return to using the term marketing, which is why in my opening comments, Bonnie, when you asked me to talk about why brand is so important to me, I responded and said, marketing is what I'm passionate about. Brand is a component of marketing. And I love also in Mike's quote where he said, We're not doing digital marketing. We're not digital marketers. We're marketing in a digital world. 
everyone has to learn how to do that. Everyone has to learn how to build a brand and drive awareness of it, or how does a brand help to enable demand or enable loyalty, enable retention. These are all functions of marketing. So I agree completely uh, with, with the comments that were shared that, that Mike led us through. Thank you very much. Mike, great conversation starter as well. Anything you'd like to say back to your poke panelists? Uh, no, I, again, you know, uh, I agree with what Dennis was saying. You know, some of us come from the analog and we had to make the journey into digital. But from a marketing point of view, what Dennis does with his great creativity, um, does it matter which channel it went down as long as it was created for the right person at the right time to receive it, which is what marketing is all about, you know? Marketing in a digital world, I think I probably put at the end of that one, I'm sure I did. Even the toaster that you pop your bagel in this morning is digital. Nobody does uh, analog anymore. Um, I think the only thing that I would add to that is that maybe there are some hangovers from, that I didn't mention there, the hangovers from what we refer to analog marketing, where it was mainly mass media based. And we end up sending the same message to every single person at the same time as we had to. Well, guess what? We don't have to do that anymore. So the technology brings the opportunity to be a bit more personal, to be a bit more selective about that. But uh, yeah, I think we're all on the same page. Marketing in a digital world. Thank you. And I have a neighbor who told me she hates technology, wants nothing to do with it, and she's SMSing me on text message on a cell, <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> Her name happens to be Karen. We won't go there. Dennis Thomas, you're up next. I have a very provocative hot potato topic here from Dennis. His statement number two. I'm going to read it, and Dennis, ask you to just run with it. You say, some brands give a damn and thrive some brands don't give a damn and thrive. We're not going to name those brands, but just keep it at a, a thought leadership level. Dennis, talk to me. Okay, thank you. Uh, I can't read an article on branding today that doesn't talk about, especially post-pandemic, the need for purpose, the need for values, etc. It's kind of the coin of the realm right now, I suppose. And we've all experienced a number of brands that are founded on a sense of purpose, whether they're for everything you buy, they do something, whether it's giving away a product, um, planting trees, et cetera, and they are very purpose-driven and are attracting audiences who, who relate to that kind of activity. Similarly, or dissimilarly, I'm sorry, if I'm looking for a pickup truck, do I care what this company stands for, and is there, you know, really purpose differentiation between any of the competitors that might be selling this pickup truck? And so that's why I said some brands seem not to have quite the purpose that at their foundation. Yes, everyone does CSR, but we're not talking about that, right? And and they seem to do okay. And others are, you know, very grounded in a very specific purpose and will attract a very specific audience because of that. What's, what's fascinating and possibly really weird is that any company today could probably play it both ways and get away with it. If we have, this is what's interesting about really focused um, digital marketing to the individual these days. You know, what if a company went to, you know, some audience that they know and identified as very purpose-driven and sent them different kind of messages then 
those that really don't care that are just shopping for value or functionality or may not even support the causes that this other um, uh, generation wants to see. I, I think that's all fascinating right now. And I think that's just the, the landscape that brands are going to have to negotiate increasingly as, as our weird future progresses. Weird future. There you go. Okay. People call it the new normal. I call it the new reality. It's day by day, minute by minute. There is no normal. The normal is it's changing all the time. Let's go around the table. Alicia, you are virtually sitting right next to Dennis Thomas right now. So we'd love to get your thoughts on what he said, giving a damn or don't, thriving or not. Alicia? Well, I love the statement, uh, first and foremost. Um, you know, I love I love the, the thoughts behind it. Um mm. The second half of it, some brands don't give a damn and thrive. Um, I think that perhaps was the reality in the past, but I think the runway of those brands is going to become materially shorter or certainly uh, more challenged today and in the future. Um, I think whether you are in the market for a pickup truck or, um, you know, a, a, a piece of enterprise software, I think people care a lot about things like where the parts for that truck are sourced from, you know, who's making them, you know, what the conditions of the factory are. Um, because these things, they, they're, they're, it's kind of, if you think about the way the supply chain works, not to get too technical, but these things lead to the ultimate effect on things like price that, that people do care about, quality, uh, the overall service delivery experience. And if you spend the time to kind of unpack all of that, you see some really terrible kind of root causes that lead to the outcome uh, for the customer. So I just think that in every crisis that we've had, you know, in, in life, it often does lead to, especially in business, things like mergers and acquisitions, some level of consolidation because companies can't sustain uh, the climate that they're operating in. And I think the climate today is one that um, is not willing to tolerate behavior or action or quality or how things are being produced and serviced and delivered that are just not done ethically or with integrity or aligned to what people care about. And so I think the runways for companies like that are, are going to be very, very short-lived. Thank you. That's a reality check. Mike, join us. Thoughts, please? Yeah. Again, I think kind of part agree and, and part disagree. Uh, Alyssa just uh, touched on something very interesting. You know, we talk about, and it's kind of like the millennium thing a little bit as well. They don't actually own brands because they have some values or principles that they believe in. You know, I mean, I grew up looking around the world at products that were made in sweatshops in the Far East with children working in them. And I didn't want to buy those products for that very reason, even if I thought they looked really cool, you know? So I, I think the, the values that a brand um, has, you know, they have to be uh, maintained. But, but I think the big difference is now 
is, and again, going back to what's already been said, there was a time you could get away with it without giving a damn because you were aloof and your ivory tower is the brand sending these messages to the audience who couldn't talk back. Now you have to be in that audience. And when you look at the channel and the source, most of what's being said about your brand is happening in that customer base to begin with, you know? So whether you like it or not, you know, the values and principles that you hold, if you don't take part in that conversation, and I know that's probably even cliched now, but if you're not there, you know, uh, what, what, what did you say? Um, somebody from um, Intuit said something about a brand earlier on. Whether Jeff Bezos said this or not, I don't know if he did, uh, but a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, you know? Yes. So yes. it's that same thing. It's reputation, something like that. This was from Scott Cook, uh, the co-founder, and he said, a brand is no longer what we tell the consumer it is. It's what consumers tell each other it uh, is. Exactly, yeah. Interesting twist. Thank you. Dennis, you started with a provocative statement. Appreciate that. Anything you want to say back to Alicia and or Mike? Go ahead. I was reading an article the other day on Forbes where they said, you know, brands really need to have great values. And I think everyone agrees with that. Um, But whose values? In other words, some great values might be we want our children safe at school. Another great value might be we want to protect our Second Amendment rights. Okay, both of those could be great values. And so when we talk about values, it's really easy to assume we're kind of in a liberal uh, marketing bubble and all speak the same values. So um, Mm -hmm. I I just think it's an incredibly complex scenario right now just because of those kind of dynamics that we can't assume everybody cares about the rainforest because they don't. As much as we do or, or, and wish everyone does. So this is just the complexity that we're in in this world today. True. Weird and complex. I think we'll add that to your first word, the weird <laughs> world. I like that a lot. We have time to sneak in one more topic. I'm looking at statement number four from Alicia Tillman. Let me just read it, Alicia, and I'd love for you to focus on the third part. And I'll, I'll emphasize that people buy purpose, value, great service, and relevance. Your brand story must speak to this and what you deliver must be evidence of it. Let's talk about service and and if we could drill it down to the people who represent your brand, Alicia, because when you go into a store, you're not talking to the marketing team. You're not talking to the CEO. You're not talking to the, the graphic designers. You're talking to a person at a cash register or a sales associate or a consultant, whatever they call them in whatever store you're in. Let's talk about the service delivery thoughts on branding. Alicia? It's it is so important. <clears throat> I am um, my my first boss right out of college. Um, Hal Rosenbluth ran a company called Rosenbluth International, which was later acquired by American Express. He wrote a book called "The Customer Comes Second. And it was incredibly controversial at the time until you actually read what his point was and who, in fact, needed to come to come first. And that was the employee. And mm-hmm. he believed that, if you truly invest well in your employee and not just tell them what your values are, but actually create a culture where you operate and you innovate um, along those values. Um, and you, you, you really lived service experiences. When we had orientation in this company and it was a 3,500 person company, but anytime new, new employees came in, they came into the company and they, they went through orientation. And one of those um, 
one part of the orientation was a member of the senior executive team at the company served you tea. Um, they walked around and they served you tea and they showed you the proper way to serve tea. Um, and one such uh, part of that is asking you if you're right-handed or if you're left-handed and so that they could place the teacup to the side that you would grab the coffee cup with, um, the, the teacup with. And so it was all about just really understanding the customer um, and, and being treated by your company that your company, how they want you to treat the customer. And more often than not, I mean, I don't know if anyone's ever gotten into a conversation with, with a salesperson in a retail store um, or have overheard a conversation of, of two people talking. More, more often than not, they're talking about something they're unhappy about in the company. Yep. Um, and, and that's just the reality of the root cause of bad service experiences. And it starts with leadership. It starts with the culture that you're creating in that business. And I think it is so very important um, because the ultimate is going to be effect is going to be about the the effect that it has on your customer. And we can all, you know, count on all of our fingers, you know, poor service experiences that we've had based on an interaction with a representative of that company mm -hmm. or the quality of the product. Um, and it all just goes back to um, the company itself and, and how well they are treating their own employees, um, in my opinion. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. To me, the person you interact with the first line when you go into a store or on a phone, that's the brand at that moment in time. That's what I would say. It was a, a good employee. They, they were respectful to me or they respected my time or they had the knowledge that I needed them to have when I interacted with them. To me, it, it all trickles down to that. We have oh four and a half minutes left to the show. Mike, I want to get your take on what Alicia shared, please. Take about one minute and then Dennis will come to you. Mike, go ahead. All right, I'll just tie back to one atomic piece, one little component um, of uh, brand story. You know, there's a lot of people talk about brand storytelling and, and usually, uh, and I say this respectfully, uh, many people get it wrong in terms of the fact that they think brand is the hero in the story and the story has to be about them and that the brand story is about the history of the company or the founder when it's actually the other way around. Brand is actually the supporter, the person. Brand is actually Gandalf, who is helping somebody to become king. You know, brand is actually the, the Sherpa, the person who is helping the hero to be the hero. And I think if brand gets the story right, it filters down to, to the employees and therefore it filters uh, out into the public place as well. So instead of thinking about your brand story as something we can say, oh, the brand is a shiny thing that we have to explain to the customer. Brand is actually a TV series. It's a documentary. It's a chronicle about how you fit into everyday life with your customers. It's an ongoing story. Thank you. Very interesting. Dennis Thomas, join us. I can give you about 90 seconds for this. Go ahead, please. Okay. I can be quick because um, I, I love what Alicia said about the, the values that people bring to a brand, the employees bring to a brand and how foundation, foundational that can be in a company's success. I'm also aware that when the largest uh, companies in this country that is noted for its customer success has a 140% turnover rate among its employees, and it seems to be built into their business model. 
And it's a company that can deliver outstanding customer service that almost everyone uses and loves, and yet has a constant churn. 140% per year is insane. And yet that's a thriving corporation. I'm not sure it's going to be short-lived. Hmm. Brief and to the point. You got me there. Thank you very much. <laughs> I can give you each one sentence, and I'm talking about a 30-second sentence on where do you predict this will all go if we met again, let's say, in 2025. Brand marketing, hopefully in a way post-post-post-pandemic world. That's my hope for the world. Would we still be talking about brand marketing as something that we need to explain, that we need to explore? Alicia, give me a yes or no in one sentence, please, then Mike, and then Dennis. Go ahead. Yes, we will always need to be uh, exploring the world of brand marketing, but we will do that in the larger context of how marketing overall can support a company's success from driving customer acquisition to driving loyalty and winning customers for life. Thank you. Mike, you're up. Uh, Yeah, it kind of goes back to the whole digital thing, you know, stop talking about performance marketing. Can brand exist with e-commerce? We're doing the same thing. So let's hope that those people that did have to shift the bulk of their business to e-commerce last year learned a lesson that they will be omnichannel. We'll be talking about the same brand. Thank you. Dennis Thomas, you're up. What do you predict? I think in the future we're going to see um, the new culture wars as brand wars that there's going to be so much stratification, bifurcation in the culture that brands have to negotiate all that. They're going to have to make some tough decisions. They're not going to make everybody happy. And it's going to be a a war out there. Thank you. Like we need another one of those. Thank you very (laughs) much, everyone. I want to shout out again to Kristen Boileau at SAP, the fierce sponsor of this show. By the way, this show started out as the future of changing the game with social selling. And then it morphed to digital selling. And last year, Kirsten changed the name to digital engagement. Just so you know, Mike, that's the, the, the journey that the branding for this show has taken over the years. She's the only one of my longtime sponsors who has morphed the title as the, as the value of what she was trying to talk about has changed. Getting in the right direction. There you go. You tell Kirsten that. Sylvie Lexo, thank you very much. She's in the background cheering us on. Alicia Tillman, such an honor to have you. Same Mike Rehan and same Dennis Thomas. And a shout out to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire. He started out working with me two years ago he was 26 now he's 62 we put him through his paces a lot at voice america thank you very much aaron you will survive i'm bonnie de graham and here's my call to action fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today just like alicia tillman just like mike rehan just like dennis thomas have a great one everyone bye bye everybody Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with Digital Engagement, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again, Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.